Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. While Ukrainians are more than holding their ground fighting the Russian military, there's a whole other digital battle being fought. The following is the first part of my interview with Alex Pornikov, the nation's deputy minister of digital transformation, who chatted with me over Zoom from Ukraine. I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. Well, Alex, thanks for joining me. It's been more than three weeks since Russia has invaded, and we've all seen the horrific attacks. So before we get into the questions, how are you doing? Um, well, so far, so good. There was uh, a, lot, a lot of pressure in the first days. It's been hectic, and uh, um, yeah, we got all, we're got we getting terrible news about what's going on about advancing Russian army, but now, uh, they're, 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 our, our troops stopped them. We hope that it's going to end uh, soon and uh, we win. Uh, we, uh, I was caught, uh, well, actually, I was in Kiev when it all started. And I woke up from um, explosions, uh, sounds, at 6 a.m. Um, and uh, during the next two days, uh, there was instantly sirens, bombing, shelling. So we had to go to shelter. Then we moved to a safer location to be able to work and continue operations of the Minister of Digital Transformation. So right now I'm still in Ukraine, but uh, a little bit far from uh, actual war zone. So, but even here, there are sometimes sirens. So uh, we have to go and, uh, and hide. Um, but it's safe. It's it's good. Well, that's 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 good to hear. And I want to talk a little bit more about sort of the department you work in. This, you're the deputy minister of digital transformation, and it's an it's an interesting title. It's not a title that you you hear a lot. Um, and so I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about that role and how that role has or hasn't changed during this invasion. Well, it changed um, drastically. Um, well. Basically, um, a minister of digital transformation is something new in Ukraine. It was created two years ago uh, to move government services like online completely and to make um, government services transparent, uh, easy to use, convenient for people. And uh, uh, having this goal, we uh, it was actually a major goal. We also set a couple other goals. Um, uh, one of them is to cover Ukraine with high-speed broadband internet, uh, also teach people digital skills, increase digital literacy. Um, and what I was personally in charge of is to develop IT industry of Ukraine, boost startup ecosystem, venture investments to, to create favorable conditions for IT companies uh, which want to incorporate in Ukraine. Um, so we came up with our DSCD, which is legal framework for IT companies with low taxes. Uh, it's a sort of a Silicon Valley in Ukraine. Uh, we also were working on crypto uh, laws legislate and legislation of the crypto in Ukraine. 
um, uh, IT education. So the, this is was my uh, area of responsibility. Um, but when when uh, Russia attacked us, um, we completely switched to another focus. So now we are mostly defending our digital infrastructure. We um, still trying to support like telecommunication infrastructure uh, running and so far we're doing good. So most of their Ukraine is still covered with their satellite, I'm sorry, cell reception with internet. Um, and of, right now we also work in the field of digital diplomacy. So we work with international companies telling them what's going on. Uh, we um, uh, uh, urge them and appeal to them to leave Russia, to stop operations in Russia. Uh, yeah, we also work on this IT army of Ukraine to fight against invasion and Russian attack. Um, so uh, almost everything that we used to work before now is like kind of postponed uh, and we completely drastically changed our focus to new tasks. Right, right. And you know, as you said, one of the ones is is advocating for tech companies to do more in terms of you know, what's happening in Russia. And we've seen companies like Apple halt sales and, and like YouTube uh, really kind of block out uh, a lot of the Russian state-run media and a lot of the propaganda coming out of it. I'm curious though, has the tech industry done enough? Well, we think that uh, they responded to most of our uh, requests, which we really appreciate and we're thankful for uh, international community and United States support. Um, uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook, Google, YouTube, uh, Twitter, they did a lot of uh, uh, impactful things in terms of fighting with propaganda uh, because Russia used, well, was actually using those platforms to, as a means of war. There was no media from, they using, they were using media as a means of war, like a weapon. Uh, so with the help of those uh, tech giants uh, and media platforms, uh, we think that we reduced the number of this propaganda, especially going for, to Ukraine. Um, but they, uh, at some point they realized that they are losing and they just banning all this platform in Russia. I'm, I'm sure you know that what they're doing at, at this point. Yep. So they just, uh, uh, like stopping those services, so Russian citizens just not able to use them at all. Um, um, maybe they could do more. We still work with a lot of companies uh, from financial sector, from uh, I mean tech technical uh, tech companies from financial sector. Uh, we work with their uh, freelance platforms, with their um, other types of like services, SaaS platforms to stop uh, serving. Russian customers, because we believe that every taxpayer dollar that go to Russia right now is goes to fuel the war and yeah. kill more and more civilian people. Um, uh, well, as a, so generally, I uh, I can can say that uh, this work is uh, uh, gave us a lot of positive results and and a, and a great response from them from from U.S. companies, from European companies, for some even. Asian companies. Right. And now a lot of folks uh, who want to support Ukraine have, have done so through crypto. Uh, and indeed, this has been called the first crypto war just because of the funds that have been accumulated really on both sides. I, I'm curious uh, if you could talk a little bit about that, because you talked about some of the work you had already done in crypto 
and and tell me just sort of how Ukraine is taking advantage of this trend. I think that was there not about advantage, it was about necessity and right. urgency because uh, during the first day of war, since they attacked us from many angles, from many sides, um, even they were very close to our capital, Kiev, and they still close. They stopped advancing, but they still close. Uh, National Bank of Ukraine limited a lot of uh, fiat currencies uh, movement uh, in Ukraine and especially out of Ukraine. So we had to uh, urgently uh, make make a step in, uh, in order to uh, somehow figure out how we can help our army, help our people. Um, and crypto was uh, one of the solutions because uh, there is no, there are no restrictions, and you can do this very fast. And crypto transaction, they like in, if you send a wire transfer, you wait for one, at least one two days uh, for it to uh, uh, reach the destination. But with crypto, it's just 10, 15 minutes. And uh, also, there uh, people of the world had limited ability to fund Ukraine, other Ukrainian funds in fiat currencies. So Mikhail Fedorov called me on the second or the third day and told me that let's create this fund because there are many people want to, want to help. We immediately responded, created this fund, published on the Twitter, and then uh, like thousands of people starting to donate. And um, this, this was, this is really, this is really great. And we, so much appreciate the support and and recently we published a report that we bought like uh, thousands of uh, bullet requests uh, helmets uh, night vision goggle optics uh, food rations uh, med- um, medical supplies and and much much more to to help army and the people to to defend our homeland Right, and that, that's an interesting dynamic now with with crypto and and social media, where that you can there's sort of that immediate feedback. You get the funds immediately, and you can be immediately transparent about what you're doing with those funds. So I find that I find that fascinating. Uh, you're you're also planning to sell NFTs as a way to raise funds. I'm just I'm curious how that works, especially for folks who really can't get their minds wrapped around NFTs in general. Um, how does that How does that work? Uh, well. We again, I said that it's it's still uh, uh, a lot of things to do, and uh, NFTs is not on the top of our heads at, the, at this point. Um, yeah, some people then donated NFTs, but we uh, we haven't gone into your details. Uh, uh, I know there's one of the pieces is very valuable, like two hundred thousand um, dollars, and, uh, and at some point maybe we'll go to a market to sell it, but. Uh, we still have funds in our major fund uh, in Bitcoin and Ethereum and uh, Tether. So uh, at, uh, at this moment, we think that uh, uh, we focus ourselves on, on urgent and immediate needs of Army, and then we, we're going to turn to NFT. Um, also, we think about uh, running um, government uh initiative about creating nft and it's going to be like sort of a museum of war um uh, nft collection so um i can give you an idea how it's if you if, if you want yeah. how, yeah. how we, we see the concept of this uh initiative so the concept basically is to um create our um get the trusted news source and uh, and piece of art associated with this news and and take 
um, and, and put them in a chronological order. So we can have this uh, um, sequence from day zero to till the end of war. So each day something happened. And uh, for each day, there will be NFT re uh, connected to this day, to some news about this day, and to a piece of art related to this day. So for instance, um, Russians bombed a child hospital, maternity ward in, in Mariupol. So we're going to get uh, this news, take the piece of art, like a picture of uh, something, or maybe have some video, then put this to NFT, and this will be part of this museum. So we never forget what happened. Yeah. I see. So on the flip side, uh, you know, there's concern that Russian leaders in the oligarchy are using cryptocurrency to you know act as a safe haven. I'm curious what you know you've said and and sort of the outreach you've made to crypto exchanges about this. Well, we uh, we appeal appeal to them to stop uh, serving Russian customers because we really uh, don't know who we're using crypto um, and we suppose we uh, we kind of forecasted and predicted they really going to use crypto to avoid sanctions. So we ask exchanges, but the major response of exchanges that crypto is kind of like a free world and uh, uh, we can't harm regular Russian people. Um, right. We Again, well, I understand their position, but we disagree with that. Um, anyway, some exchanges reported that they banned uh, uh, Russian customers completely. Some of them limited their uh, functionality, banned some currencies. Uh, but what I know for sure that in, in this, in the Binance statement, and also uh, Coinbase uh, did this, they block uh, people who are under the sanctions and people related to them. So they, right. like Coinbase banned like 25,000 accounts. Uh, I know Binance ban a lot of accounts. So they're trying to be compliant with the sanctions anyway. Yeah. Um, but what's 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 going on on uh, on like uh, generally on the market, I I I what I heard here that they started to actively using crypto to avoid sanctions uh, uh, for the last few days. Um, I know there there are there should be some response from US government and other authorities about that. Uh, but I didn't know the details. Details, right? And and yes, and I know the the crypto exchanges tend to sort of follow what the regulations are. But I'm I'm curious if in your mind, like, if there is a or what is the moral responsibility for these crypto cryptocurrency exchanges in the face of this conflict? Well, I think our moral responsibility is to uh, realize that, uh, as I mentioned before, that. A lot of this money, those money are corrupted. Uh, and it's because before the war, Russia is a very corrupted country. And but right now, especially when uh, this all this started, it, it, it should be obvious that they're gonna take their uh, incomes and get out like all the people under the sanctions and the people that were doing horrible things, making these horrible decisions. They're going to use crypto eventually, some way or another. And uh, I think the moral responsibility for all the exchanges and all the crypto companies that support values, uh, like democratic values, humanitarian values, to ban as much of this effort as they can. 
and looking very closely to every Russian account that doing special like huge transactions or even like small transaction and see where they're going because they they want to avoid responsibility of what they do and and this is unacceptable i think that's in 21st century this is completely unacceptable to uh, invade a country kill civilian citizens just because you want that's it for the first of my three-part interview with alex bornikov deputy minister of digital transformation for ukraine stay tuned tomorrow for part two if you have any questions, ping me on Twitter at Roger W. Chang. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us out. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening.